0: we're looking together here and i want you to see in uh, hebrews chapter 10 uh i love sundays now let's let me lay a little foundation here pastor why preach a series on i love sundays we we know sunday and, and and we come worship and that's important but i'm concerned that we might not know why why do we come on sunday and is it important and is it a big deal because let me, let me uh, talk about a couple of things that, that I want to make sure you understand. And maybe we struggle with balance in our life. So for instance, uh, we, we know that, that every day is important as a believer. We know that, that, that the way we live our faith is not dependent upon the calendar. In other words, my behavior, my lifestyle is not one thing on Sunday and another thing on Monday. I'm a Christian 24-7. Everybody gets that. Amen? Amen. You know, I think there are a lot of Christians that have read too many comic books instead of the Bible. And they think that somewhere in the church foyer is Superman's phone booth. They're Clark Kent during the week. But on Sunday, they walk into the foyer and put on their Christian cape. And And, and if you went to church with them, uh, I mean, if you worked with them Monday through Friday, you'd be shocked to see them at church on Sunday. So we understand that our faith is not a Sunday-only faith. Is everybody with me? That there's not supposed to be some different lifestyle when I walk in this building than how I live every day. We, we, we know that. And we know the church is not a building. The church is God's people. So those are important things we needed to learn. But we need to see the value of Sunday. Why why would I take a, some time and preach a series? Because this is what I, I said a moment ago is happening. It, it seems to me that we've lost the value of sunday In the the American church, we don't understand why it's big and why it's important and what it does for us. Let let, let me share with you, for instance, uh, recent surveys among church attenders tell us that there's been a big shift in the American church attendance mindset. What used to be a standard part of our relationship to the Lord. Now, I'm telling you right up front, is what I said, Sunday isn't the only time we serve the Lord. And, and, and you know what? You, you you didn't turn into a hamburger when you walked in McDonald's this week. And you don't turn into a Christian just when you walk in those doors here. So there's no magic in this place. There's no, there's, you know, but, but the Spirit of God is in this place when we come together. It's very important. But we need to keep the balance. So let me show you what's happening to us. Maybe we've understood that some of those important things I just said... And we've let it lessen the importance of Sunday because this is what's happening. They tell us in the uh, American church today, maybe not every church, I hope we're better than this, but in the average church in America today, only 50% of the congregation come every Sunday. Another 25% come once or twice a month, still consider everything fine. Now, I'm not talking about your work schedule or if, if they're, you know, someone's sick, those things, but just don't go to church on those days is what I'm saying. But then, then there's a third group. They, you know, 50% come every week, and you got another quarter that's that's here somewhat. And and if you're in that category, don't feel bad. I'm not throwing a rock at you. I want to help you today, and help you understand the value. And then you got that third category that are the church CEOs. They still consider themselves a regular attender of a church, regular part of. They're really just a CEO. What is that? uh, Christmas and Easter only. That they're CEO. But you know they got to be some because I go in places and I walk in. They say, hello, pastor. And I'm like, I don't know who this is. I may not have met everybody, but I'm up here every week. And i got to tell you, I've got BBI's. I'm checking out everything here. See, pastors have this peripheral vision that's supernatural. Because when you give an altar call, if somebody stands behind me and raises their hand, I see it. So, see, I, I know what's going on. So we church attendance seems to be, you know, uh, ebbing, and 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 it's important that we understand: is Sunday important? Is it a big deal? Does me coming worse on Sunday make a difference? Uh, Is you know I have television, I have live stream, I have a podcast. There's all these ways to get this. What's the value of me coming together on Sunday? Is there, is there a value to that? Well, we're about to read here in Hebrews 10, and, and let me help us with the setting here. This is amazing. Here in, in, in Hebrews 10, uh, this letter was written to Jews that had become Christians, which was the majority of the early church. Most believe they were probably living in Rome. So a letter is written to the Christians living in Rome, the center of persecution for the church. It had now moved from the early days of, of Jerusalem where the city was amazed and in awe of these great Christians. And now the church was spreading so fast that the uh, narcissistic uh, uh, Roman emperors were now threatened. And, and in Rome the emperor was considered God in that day. And now here are these, these believers that refuse to worship him as God. They've met the one true God. And now they're beginning to be persecuted and, and their property taken and their homes confiscated. And many of them are paying with their lives. So to those people, this epistle is written. In, in verse 19, if you go to Hebrews 10, in my Bible there's a subheading here and it's called a call to persevere. And we're going to look at some more verses as we go through the month. But, but, but here's men and women, I want you to get this, who are facing death. For their faith. Who are being thrown in prison, whose homes are being taken simply because they're worshiping God. Are you with me? And look at verse, we're going to start in verse 19 in a moment, but drop down to verse 25. Look at the bottom line. This is what the, the writer says to people facing death for being a Christian. Verse 25. Let us not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching the return of the Lord. So look at this. Is meeting together important? Here's a biblical writer under the direction of the Holy Spirit to men and women who could be martyred if they're caught meeting together. And he says, whatever you do, don't stop having worship service. Wow. At the risk of your life, keep meeting. At the risk of losing your house, keep meeting. I don't know about you, but that got my attention. There must be something very important about us worshiping together. There must be something so important that the biblical directive to the early church was, even if you risk your life, don't get in the habit of forsaking meeting together. Go ahead and worship together anyway. Whatever it costs you, the reciprocal value is so important, it's worth risking your life to go worship together. Now, that's what this says. I don't know about you, but that's pretty big to me. That's bigger than I didn't go to bed early enough last night. Or I think the ball game's on early today. I got a word of knowledge for you. DVR. Okay. But I want to go far beyond that. I want you to listen to me. Because what I want to teach you over this month is so much higher than just counting nickels and noses and building attendance on Sunday for the sake of comparing how many came. Okay? This is far beyond that. Because the value of this, according to what we're reading here, is not just to boost attendance. It's not just to, to, to put people in seats. This is eternally spiritually important. And, and we have lost the sense of that even in the church in our American culture. So we're going to learn some things that, that are huge. So let's back up and, and uh, let, let's look at verse 19 and read through 25 and then I want to lay some foundation. Why? What is the context of verse 25? Why would this writer, many believe the Apostle Paul, be so radical to say, even if you're going to die for it, you still need to go worship together. We need to look at this. Verse 19, therefore. So he's summing up the, the, the chapters before this most Bible scholars say, are the greatest chapters in the Bible on the high priestly ministry of Jesus. Explaining His shed blood and what that did and how heaven is open to us. And and, and so, He says, I'm summing it up in light of this incredible truth I've just taught you. This is what you should do. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is His body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then we come to this verse. It all built to this. And let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. So I want to go to verse 19 and walk us up to verse 25. I want you to see how important this is. Now let me say this one more time. And this isn't counterproductive to what I'm teaching today. But I want you to hear me clearly. My motivation... In teaching this series is not to guilt anybody into coming to church. You understand that? That's that, I have no desire to do that. Listen, I grew up in church. You grew up in church. Some of you did. Some of you didn't. And 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 there used to be a time where the only way you'd get people to serve God is to scare the devil out of them. I'll say it that way. <laughs> but I found out people don't stay scared very long, huh? You know, you better serve God, because if you don't, or or then you think the rapture could happen any minute. Like, dear God, I'm, you know, and you're just scared. You can't. I thought something wrong. I say something wrong. To, you know what I mean? And 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 you just want to walk around like this all the time. Don't let me see anything. Don't let me. You know. And then we try to guilt people. You better go to church. No, listen. You you ought to be here today because either you're hungry for God, you're searching for truth. Or you've met Him and you love Him so much you can't wait to find out some more about Him and you want to grow stronger. This isn't about guilt and fear. It's about reality and relationship. And that's why I'm going to teach this because I want you to see the incredible value that let us go beyond what culture and religion tells us about worship on Sunday. And let's find the heart of God about this. It'll change your life. So look at this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... This, this, this is amazing. This statement Paul makes here is, is so off the chart to Jewish Christians that either what he's telling them, you, you've got to get this, is the truth or he's blaspheming. Either this is an incredible revelation or this man has lost it and needs to be locked up. Because he begins, look at this, brothers, since we have confidence, the word is boldness, confidence. Boldness. I love the part of this is freedom in speaking. We'll, we'll talk about that more in a moment. We have a confidence to do what? Look, to enter where? The most holy place. They instantly knew what that was. You and I might not. In the wilderness tabernacle and in Solomon's temple, there the smallest chamber in the temple was the holy of holies. The most holy place. What do you mean the most holy place? The most holy place on the planet. It was so holy that only one man for one hour for one day a year could ever walk in it. Only the high priest on the day of atonement could go into the most holy place to offer the blood of the animal to cover the sins of the whole nation. And now... Everyone who is familiar with that, you and I don't get most holy. Well, holy, what, what does that mean? The most holy place to their Jewish faith. Only one guy once a year can even walk in. And evidently the priesthood didn't stay so holy over the years. Because Jewish historians tell us, not the Bible, but Jewish historians tell us that evidently they weren't sure about some of these high priests going in. Because see if the high priest walked into the Holy of Holies. Why was it the most holy place? There was the Ark of the Covenant. And there over the Ark of the Covenant. Was the glowing presence of Almighty God. This shadow. This cloud. Glowing in the presence of God. And if you just walked in there unworthily. You're dead. So evidently some of these priests weren't. What they ought to be. And Jewish history says. Before he would go in, they would tie a rope around his ankle. Sad. So just in case, he walks in and things aren't right, pow. nobody was crawling in after him. It is true. They get the rope, pull old buddy out of there. Sorry about that, pal. So to these people, he says, I've got some news for you. You know that most holy place? Where you walk into the glowing, visible presence of the Creator God? He said, you can go in there now. What? I'm not a high priest. I I wasn't born in the right family. I don't have the right last name. I don't have the right ethnicity. I don't have the right credentials. doesn't matter. You can go in there. Do I crawl? No. You can walk straight in. I mean, what do I do? Just boldly walk right in there. So what he says, and and how did that happen? See, I'm I'm going to get bogged down on this before I get to verse 25. Pray for me today. How do you do it? How did we do it? By what? The what? The blood of whom? Of Jesus. So through salvation. Look at this radical change. Because Jesus died on the cross. And by the way, Easter was last Sunday and he's still alive today. Okay. So by the blood of Jesus. This unspeakable privilege that one guy once a year for one hour, to be honest, who would get in and get out as fast as he could. You and I now are boldly, confidently, Walk right into the holy presence of Almighty God. And we don't just visit Him. Are you ready? We live, dwell, move, have our being in the presence of the God who created the universe. And the only difference in them and us is the blood of Jesus. It's amazing. It, 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 it's literally amazing. So he continues. Come on, we we, we got to make some ground. You guys aren't going fast enough. Look at verse 20. How do we go in? By the blood of Jesus. He goes on. By a new and living way. A new and living way. I just thought new was new. You know, new like it wasn't like before. But, but the, the, the Greek word here means freshly slaughtered. Just killed. Again, the picture is the Old Testament approach to worship. So he says, by the blood of Jesus, we confidently enter the presence of God by a new way freshly slain sacrifice. But Hebrews we just read said that he only had to die once and it took care of sin for all time. So what we're reading is the powerful death of Jesus Christ erased the need for a sacrificial animal to ever be given because his sacrifice on the cross was so powerful. When you come before God, it is so fresh. It's like every day the blood was shed again and there is no yesterday because today I woke up and walked in a brand new way into the presence of Almighty God. That's why you come to church. You don't get to sitting home on the couch, drinking tea. All right. Yes, sir. A new and a living way. That means he was slain, but he's alive. See, he's resurrected. Then look at this. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. There was a huge, heavy, thick curtain, uh, many feet tall, that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And the Bible tells us that when Christ died on the cross... That huge curtain was ripped in two by the hand of God from the top to the bottom. And it's His body. So how do you and I live, dwell, move, speak freely and pray to Almighty God? Through the blood of Jesus. Through the sacrifice of Jesus. We boldly, confidently, with thanksgiving come into the presence of God. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. He's the high priest. He's ever interceding for us. We go to God through Him. You don't need any earthly man that you've got to go through to get to God now. You don't have to say, Pastor Sawyer, would you pray this prayer for me? I'm glad to pray with you, but I can give you some good news. You don't need an earthly priest. You have the great high priest. And you can pray wherever you are, whatever you need, whatever you're doing. He's the high priest. We're going a little faster now. Good. Now let's go to verse 22. Let us... See see here's what I want you to see. We we we're, we're moving to verse 25. You need to understand every bit of this is moving us to the value of corporate worship. It seems really personal on the front end, doesn't it? I get to go in, I get to do this, we get to do. So so we've been seeing what Christ did for us, but now now as, as we we come to verse 22, something's shifting. We we we've been clearly reminded about what Christ has done for us, now we are, we are being asked to remember how we respond to His presence as available now. We know what He's done. Now, what are we going to do about it? We know what's available, so what will we do? How will we respond to the presence? Verse 22, He says, let us draw near to God. You see, it's relationship. It's not theory. It's not enough to say, oh, boy, what did I learn at church today? That I can go in the presence of God any time through the blood of Jesus. That what only one man, one day a year, one hour a day, was able to go into, we can dwell in the presence of God. Isn't that great? It's awesome. Oh, yeah, thank you, Lord. That's good to know about it. But it's better to do something about it. So what's our response? Let's draw near. We don't stand around and say, look, we can go in. Let's go in. It's, it's, it's like we're talking to church. Oh, you can't believe it. We uh, we can enter the presence of God anytime we want to. God's going to He's there 24-7. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, well, when's the last time you prayed? Uh, well, uh, two weeks ago yesterday, I think I prayed. Oh, I said the blessing over my food. If the door's open, somebody ought to go in. See, how are we going to respond? Draw near. You see that? Okay, the veil is torn. The body, he shed his blood. And his body's occurred, and We can go to the Lord. So what should we do? Draw near. Draw near. Take advantage. Use the opportunity. Let us draw near. Let us approach him. Let us come near to him. Notice how this happens. Look at this verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. The picture here is a heart that's been changed. A heart that's full of truth. How? In full assurance of faith. Look at this. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Isn't that amazing? Again, the picture is that priest getting ready to go in on the day of atonement. The sacrificial animal was given and blood was shed and sprinkled blood on him. On his garments, hands, feet, everything he touched. Sprinkled the blood. Why? Because the blood gives me access to the presence of God. So, here's... But, Pastor, you know what the devil does. Who do you think you are to go into the presence of God? What have you done to earn the presence of God? You you don't know how to pray. You didn't go to Bible college. You don't have a Ph.D. You don't have an uh, MED. You don't have those things. Who do you think you are? How many sermons have you preached? What have you done? Well, he says, I'm going in because of the blood of Jesus. And I've been sprinkled right before I walk in to cleanse my conscience. So I walk in, and I I don't walk in based upon what I've done. Even, watch this, the blood was even sprinkled on the ground before He'd go in. I'm going to walk in the presence of God. Not what I've done, it's what Jesus has done. You're not worthy, I know, but Jesus made me worthy. You have no right to come in here, I know, but I'm standing on what Jesus has done. You're not the best person in the world, I know, but I'm standing on the perfect person. You're not always there, I know, but He's always there. You broke your word, but He never broke His word. You have no right to come in, but He said come in. I come in and my conscience is clear because I've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's how we come in. And, and, and you need to understand this is all lining up to why you're here today. <laughs> so, conscience is cleared by the blood of Christ. Bodies washed with pure water. That was part of the process. The priest would come through the brazen laver and wash himself. The Bible tells us that represents the Word of God. Wash myself with the Word. I, I'm coming based upon what God has done. And the Word of God ha- has done this. So, now, now, see... This is what Christ has done. How are we going to respond to the presence of God? We're going to come in. Now, he says, how are you going to respond to the promises of God? Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Early this morning, praying for you. Before the sun came up, looking at these verses again. The Holy Spirit nudged my heart. It said, when you read verse 23 today, remind your family of believers that God's faithful. Remind them that He who promised is faithful. Remind you sitting in your seat right now, you came to church for someone to tell you today, today, The promise you're holding on to was given by a faithful God. And God has not forgotten what He promised you. He will do what He said. I want you to get your arms around that right now. He said, hold on swervingly. An interesting term. It means do not let it get away from you. Have you ever been holding on to a rambunctious child in a crowd? Huh? Huh? You got a big crowd of people mobbing you everywhere. You know what I'm saying? You're at a football game or a or, or, or Six Flags or I don't know, the, the, you know, a place I'm not brave enough to go. The mall on Christmas Eve. I, I, I'm afraid of that. But you know, it, there, you know, you've got a child trying to break through and run, and there's a crowd all around you. You know what I'm talking about? And you're trying to hold on. Don't let it get away from you. Hold unswervingly. Life wants to pull the promise of God out of your hand. Life wants the promise of God to run away. It's kind of like when Phyllis and I are walking at the park. I can't tell sometimes are people walking their dog or is the dog walking them. It's hard to tell. You know, they're doing like this. But what what are they doing? They're not letting Fluffy get away from them. You got me? i 'm not going to let it get away from me. hold unswervingly. come on, God wants you to grab that promise one more time right now and take hold of it. Why? Because listen, it is the hope, the confident expectation of a favorable future. I refuse to let go. it is the promise look at it that you what I want you to get this and and, and, and let us hold unswervingly to the hope we what we profess. We say, we declare, we agree with what God said. He's our healer. So I profess there is health and healing in my future. And I have a confident expectation and I'm not letting go. The crowd's bumping into me, the kids pulling on me, but it doesn't matter. I've got a promise and you're not getting out of my hand. I'm holding unswervingly to you. So I profess it I declare it When we came here earlier in the service And we were singing he is good You're never going to come in this place And we're going to say, he is bad He is bad He's not fair He's not fair You're not going to find that around here We're not going to come in and say He sometimes keeps his word You're not going to come here and say You never know Maybe yes maybe no He's faithful to what He said. And I'm going to hold on to it. Pardon my Arkansas. Like a snapping turtle on your little finger, I'm going to hold on to it. Like a bulldog on your foot, I'm going to hold on to it. You might as well try to get a bone away from a lion. Because we're going to hold unswervingly. Why? Because He. Not me. Not you. Not we. He. It's faithful. I'm still in the introduction of my sermon right now, but but I'm making some progress here. Now look at this. How do we respond to the presence of God? We draw near. How do we respond to the promises of God? We take hold. But now, this whole passage has led me to this moment. This is where I've been headed. Because see, what Christ has done for me, the privilege of His presence, we have. The promises that we respond to all leads us to verse 24 and 25. I want you to see this. Because now it comes to this. We know how we respond to His presence. We're going to draw near. And how we're going to respond to His promises. We're going to hold on. But the question is, how do we respond to God's people? Because if this thing doesn't get us to verse 24 and 25, then the whole process is broken down. Then everything Jesus died on the cross for, Everything that was intended to be done has a huge connection with how we worship together. If it doesn't impact that, we stopped it short. To be quite frank, we aborted the plan of God. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. Now, this is an interesting, got to take a little bit of time here. Consider, thoughtfully consider each other. Take time and think about each other. Now let's be honest, it's not, it's not bad, it's just reality. Come on, let, we, this is not, we're not in heaven yet, it's just us here right now. And to be quite honest, with your work schedule, with your kids' sports schedule, with everything going on in your life, it's not bad. It's just reality that for many of us, we never think about Church and each other, and what's going on? And we drive on that parking lot out there. You don't have to raise your hands. All right, I already know. We're too busy. We we're too busy. When we roll up there, then we start thinking about. It. When we sit down and see our buddy there on the. That, okay, hey, well, there's the Smiths and the Jones. I'm glad to see them today. But we're just too busy to hit the parking lot. We start thinking. But he says here, because of these things Christ has done. Look at verse 24. Let us consider. The word is thoughtfully considering, observing fully, perceiving, and I love this word, discover. I didn't even know you existed. (laughs) I hadn't even seen you. I I was not even aware of you. Thoughtfully consider. And then it gets really crazy here because he says, in the NIV that I'm reading, we, we translate and it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. That's kind of a Nice little thing. Spur one another on. But these words are only used twice in the entire New Testament. The King James translates it, provoke. The other word that's the first definition is incite. Now both of those words have a negative connotation, don't they? They're so forceful that we think of them in a negative sense. Stay with me. In other words, think of this. Somebody got arrested. Why? Because he incited a riot. Incite. Somebody gets in a fight. Why did you hit him? Because he provoked me. That's how we provoke and incite. Am I right? It, it stirs. It, you, know, you don't just walk along and say, oh, they're having a riot. Yeah, okay. Hmm. No, you incited it. You provoked it. And we always use that in a negative sense. It's the second. It's it's when I played football, I remember you you always get the 15-yard penalty thrown on the second punch. It's not fair. Anybody played, you know what I'm talking about. Guy punches you. He does something dirty. Boom! You punch him back 15 yard. You're like, he just hit me. He didn't say... They always see the second hit. He provoked... Why'd you hit him? He provoked me. So boom! I hit him back. My mom cried, but I couldn't help it. Boom, I hit him back. So I get the 15-yard penalty. And my drilling's pumping out of my brain. I'm mad because he hit me. Now I'm mad twice because they threw the penalty on me. And now my coach, "Sorry, get over here. So I come off the field, and now he's in my ear. So I'm provoked because he hit me. I'm provoked because he caught me. I'm provoked because he took me out of the game. I'm provoked because he's yelling in my ear. And I'm so provoked if he doesn't stop, I might get my second 15-yard penalty right now. There's steam coming out of the ear holes of my helmet. I'm mad, I'm provoked, and if they let me back on the field, I'm going to incite a riot on that field. Have I scared you enough? That's how we look at that. Provoke, incite. But the Bible uses that word for the results of you and I getting together. Is that amazing? There's something, and he says, We are to do what? We are to consider, to give time to think about how can I incite or provoke my fellow believers to love and good deeds? I can't provoke you if we're not in contact. I can't incite you unless we get together. So, how do I provoke you to love and good deeds? Well, I have to do something so loving that it provokes you to respond in love. I have to do something so God-like that it incites a riot in my church that everybody says, I'm going to do something like that. Remember the lady that I told you was at the Christmas and saw what we did and was incited by your love of hurting people to go find other hurting people and to feed them. Welcome to the body of Christ. It would have never happened had she not come in a gathering of the believers. It's like this. There's a single mom who's having a hard time and she's working two jobs and and it's tough and 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 she just would like to get some rest and, and peace of mind but she knows she needs to be at church and she needs the word and her kids need the word and she comes and and and, and you know she's she's working two jobs and struggling and, and she gets here and there's another single mom and she's only working one job and she looks at that lady and she says, "Dear God, If she can make it, I can make it. And she's provoked to begin to love God in a greater way. And somebody comes here because we're worshiping together and they say, My goodness, their father just died. And they got up today and walked in the house of God and raised their hands and worshiped God and said, God is good. And they set their face and kept their faith and walked their faith out. And if they can do that, I can do that in my life. You see what begins to happen? We start provoking and inciting. And, and it's like the little lady in Seoul, Korea, who they were, the, the, the largest church in the world, the full gospel church in Seoul, Korea, that was pastored by Paul Youngie Cho. And they had reached a point trying to build their huge 30,000-seat sanctuary where they have today where the economy collapsed and they couldn't get it done and all was seen to be lost. And Dr. Cho said he was standing on the balcony of the apartment he was living in because he'd lost his home. The church had stopped. It was a mockery and an embarrassment. And one cold winter night he walked out on the balcony of, of, of this apartment high rise and he said, God. Please, I want to kill myself. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I'm not leading up church right. Can I throw myself off and still go to heaven? Please let me die. God told him no. He walks back in his church. Desperate. Doesn't know what to do. Economy's broken. Pastors broken. The church is stuck. A little homeless lady. Slept in a cardboard box. In the cold winters of Seoul, Korea, came walking up at the offering time. She said, Pastor, this is all I have, a wooden rice bowl and two chopsticks. It's all I have in the world. I live in a box. But I love you, Pastor, and I love our church, and I want to help. Can I give the only thing in the world I have to my church? And the church hushed. And a businessman stands up over here. He said, "Pastor, I'll buy that back. Give it back to her. Here's ten thousand dollars." And another man stands up and says, "No, you, you provoke me. Here's a hundred thousand dollars." And another business owner provokes, and he said, "Pastor." I was nothing when I came to this church and found Christ and He has turned my life around and my business is prosperous and I've been afraid and I'll write you another hundred thousand dollar check and another hundred thousand dollar check and another thousand and another thousand and the church began to pour and, and, and they raised the money and built the building and got out of that problem even though the economy didn't change. Why? Because one little lady did what she could do and provoked a riot Of generosity because they were there that day. We're supposed to provoke each other. Incite each other. To love and good deeds. I must hurry. Let's go to verse 25. So you see, everything was to get us here. And all was to get us here. So what's the finality of what Christ has done? How we respond to His presence. How we respond to His promise. How we respond to each other is this. Let us not give up meeting together. Don't give up. Don't negate it. Don't dismiss it. Don't short sell it. What? As some are in the habit of doing. Don't let it become a habit. But look at this. This is the word. But let us encourage one another. I, I, I just... This word, encourage, stunned me. It's from the same root word that Jesus used in John 14, where the disciples had just been told, "I'm going to go." They're in the upper room with the Last Supper. I'm going to go to the Father, and the disciples are heartbroken, and they say, "You're you're going to leave me alone? You're you're, you're going to leave us like orphans? You're you're going to go?" He said, you don't have to worry. Here's this word here, what we're supposed to do. He said, I'm going to send the paraclete to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. I'm going to send the comforter to you, the counselor. The word paraclete literally means, watch this, to men shocked at being left alone, paraclete means the one who comes to walk along beside you every step of the way. We live in a culture desperate for someone to come walk beside me in the way. My funeral home directors told me that elderly people are so lonely in our country today that they read the obituary and put on their clothes and come sit in the back of the funeral just to be with some people that day. They go to the mall and find a seat and you might get upset that they took too long to sit down and you're you're aggravated that they don't seem to know what they're doing. All they're trying to do is find a place to sit down and be around some people. I go to the major cities of America and... To to Los Angeles with the Dream Center, and Pastor Barnett walks me through and says, Tell Pastor Saw your testimony. You tell him your testimony. You tell him your testimony. And the young, fresh faces that aren't old enough to even know that are gangbangers, tell me, Pastor, I was so desperate just to have family. What a perverse idea of family, a gang. But I was so lonely. I so desperately wanted someone to walk along beside me that I went to the Hollywood freeway and dressed in black and stood on the edge of the road and I had to wow my brothers. Watch me. I had to slap the side of a car coming by at 70 miles an hour. And if that wasn't enough, then another young man told me I drove around. I got as high as I could before I did this because to get in the game, I was going to have to shoot a person that I'd never seen before. So I, I, I doped myself up as much as I could and still held a gun. And we rolled around in the car and I just pulled up to a street corner and I just shot someone. Didn't see, didn't know, had no problem with, and we drove off. Why? Because I wanted somebody to come walk beside me. You know what the Bible says? Don't get in the habit of trying to do this by yourself. Don't get in the habit of undermining the value of what's going on right now in this room. Because when we come together, he didn't say by myself. But when we come together, there is a release of the Holy Spirit that comes into this place. And we begin to encourage each other. We begin to walk along beside each other. We begin to comfort and console and encourage and strengthen. Why? Because we're the family of God. See, on the day of Pentecost, when they were together, that's when the Holy Spirit was outpoured on them. God is with me every day, everywhere I go. But when we get together, there is a manifestation of the Spirit of God where His tangible presence comes and there is no equal to it any other way. See, in fact, I want you to look one more time. We miss it going through the process, but here it is. Through the whole time, God was showing us something. Look at verse 22 with me again. Back up and look at verse 22. From the very beginning of how we are to respond to what Christ has done, it was never a solo act. It was never. Look at verse 22. How does it begin? Let whom? Let us. Look at verse 23. Let us. Look at verse 24. And let us. Look at verse 25. Let us. Oh, we read right through it. I thought it was all about me, Pastor. I thought it was all about my access. And the very beginning of the process that step by step by step showed me that there is something about meeting together that makes a statement that says we believe God is who He says He is. We believe He will do for you what He said that manifests and releases the power of the Holy Spirit. All I've been able to do today is just lay the foundation for you to see why it's so valuable and valid and powerful to come together. Because when we do, see, that's how we... There's something... What did verse 22 say? Let us do what? Draw near. Isn't it encouraging? When you've been by yourself all week. When there's not been another believer at work or maybe even in your home. When we get here and we begin to raise our hand and you look around and you say, Oh, thank God, I'm not by myself. Oh, thank you, God. Let us, let us, let us draw near. It's a blessing. And then the promises of God. You're struggling to hold on. You're trying to hold on and not let that thing get away from you. And you come here and somebody says, Wow, I just want you to know God healed me of cancer. And you're holding on to the promise of God. Thank you, God. You just get a little tighter grip. You see, let us hold the promises. Let us encourage one another. Let us meet together because when we do, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the anointing and the presence of God is here. Now, there, there, there's, there's one group of people that don't want everything I've just preached and taught you and that's what people don't want anything to do with God because I'm going to tell you at Calvary, the goal of this church is not to be people sensitive I don't be offensive. The goal of this church is to be Holy Spirit sensitive. That's my goal. If I got to choose between making you uncomfortable and making God happy, get uncomfortable. If somebody says, well, I don't know if I want to go to Calvary because, you know, I'm confronted by the presence of God. Can I tell you something? I'd be lost and going to hell if I did not become uncomfortable one night in a church service. Uncomfortable with my condition. Uncomfortable with my sin. Uncomfortable with what i had done. But that uncomfortable uh, conviction in my heart moved me to a place where I said, God, I'm tired of being uncomfortable. I want the blood of Jesus to watch me and let me walk into your presence. And I have loved it every day since then. That's what happens when we come together. The presence of God.